Sorry, I defeat Alvin. He was very demanding. <laughs> you know, I picture like, uh, do, you, do you ever see the the cut scene from Superman where they, where they got to feed that beast? Oh yeah, yes, exactly. And he's dropping value Perrine in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, that was. That's Alvin. what I'm picturing for for feeding Alvin. Well, I I I ran in the bathroom real quick, and as soon as I came out, he's like, wow, wow, wow. He was so hungry. How hungry was he? He was so hungry when when I I I got his can. Uh, I was going out to the garage to open up a can for him, and he's and he he keeps turning back and looking at me and meowing, and he he got right next to the door and then he realized I was going to the garage and he spun real quick and he whacked his head right into the door frame. Cat concussion. Yeah. Oh well. Oh, or is it just a cat cushion? Cat cushion, yeah. My cat um, tends to cry after I feed her. Really? It's kind of like I the have... post-sex cry. <laughs> I just needed to cuddle and you fed me. <laughs> All I needed I mean, was a hug. Back to the bin. So, we might as well jump into this thing. Splash. (coughs) Hello, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I have to take a couple of seconds when I introduce a show to try and remember which one I'm introducing now. Uh, I'm here with my usual cohort, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. (laughs) And we do not have Scott H. Gardner, who is off on assignment once again. But we have replaced him with Mr. Tom DJ. Welcome aboard, Hello. The Tom DJ 2000. Yes. Shouldn't, shouldn't shouldn't it be shouldn't when you say hello like that shouldn't you follow with with some city name, hello <laughs> hello Topeka or something? Right. Hello Omaha. How about that? There you go. Hello Cucamonga. I don't know if we have any listeners in Omaha, but if we do, you just gave them a. I'm sure you gave them a, a big thrill. So, <laughs> Tom Tom is here. Not only because we're friends with Tom and we looked forward to having him on again, but Tom's got something going on, and I think it's let's come right out of the shoot and talk about that. What do you got going on, Tom? Well, the second book in the Shadow Legion series just came out. It's called Nightmare City. It's got four uh, short stories slash novellas about each of the four members of the Legion fighting bad guys and saving the day. And how is, how is that available currently? Through Amazon and both uh, Kindle and Dead Tree Edition, I have to assume somewhere down the line we're going to get another Audible book because uh, the first one became an Audible book uh, late last year. Ooh, I didn't. An Audible I did not know that. Yeah, it oh. was weird hearing somebody read back my own words. You know. Yeah, that must be. But so the... was it just one person doing different voices? Yeah, it was one person doing different voices, and it was interesting to note that all of my women were apparently Southern. But hey. <laughs> now, now, 
when when they did that, they didn't contact you to say, hey, what were you thinking here or anything like that? Nope. They just went ahead and read it. So Interesting. Hmm. What do you what'd you think overall of the audio? Like I said, it was just a weird experience and uh I don't know if they're gonna use the same reader. I, I always I thought that with this one, because there's four different stories that you use four different readers, but they said no, it's gonna be the same reader. So hmm. we'll see what happens. But the other thing I, I took away from it is that boy, I wrote a violent book back then, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was with the times. You, you... <laughs> Back then, it was a violent era when you wrote it. Yeah. 2012. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> the violent yeah. era of 2012. I'm sorry, I'm being distracted by the Met game behind us. They finally scored a couple of runs. So uh, what I'm going to try to remember to do is to put a link on the Two True Freaks mm -hmm. page and on the Facebook page when this episode comes up. To the episode, to the to the book rather, right? Uh, put a link to the book with. Hopefully, I can do it where it's going through the Two True Freaks Amazon page, right? And this way, we we, we uh, solve all problems with one link. There you hopefully, go. Collect some shekels out of it. Yeah, there you go. We all we everybody's got to eat. Mm-hmm. So, but I, think of it this way: it's a book where people punch giant robots in the face. So. What's not to love? It's got to hurt. I, I, I believe that I will make every effort to lead the charge and make a purchase myself. Is there a way of me... Uh, well, you know what? I'll just wait until the next time we know we're going to see you. Because I was going to say, uh, I have another friend who's an author. And what I did was when I purchased mm -hmm. his book, I actually shipped it to his house. And then he signed it and then shipped it to me from his house. But I'll, well, I'll we're just, close uh, enough, Paul, that we can just set a time to meet, and then we, I could do it for you. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, I'm, I'm sure we're going to have some time in the future where we have a get-together, and when we do, mm -hmm. I'll just bring a copy of it with me. Because, I don't know, I, I like having books signed by the authors. I just think it's right. Meet me at the Unisphere at 10 o'clock p.m. Oh, sorry. I meant to bring up, I have a copy of your first book, and... Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, of the Shadow Legion, and I'll be damned if I could find it when I came up there. So I'll have to look again next time I take a trip up there. Maybe Alvin has uh, it. I was going to say, no. I wasn't lining Alvin's litter box. No, no, no. <laughs> here it is. Shadow it's here Legion, somewhere. Volume 2, Nightmare City. Paperback, sixteen ninety nine. Mm -hmm. It is available through Prime, which... Uh, which you know gets you free shipping if you buy enough stuff, and the Kindle mm -hmm. edition a mere four ninety nine. There you I go. I can't imagine mm. that that that's too much for anybody. Yeah, um, and the third book is already in the, at the publisher, so hopefully mm -hmm. that'll be coming out at a in a decent interval. Well, interestingly, I'm just looking. I I, I just put in Shadow Legion, mm -hmm. and with the search, it gave me Shadow Legion Nightmare City. And then mm -hmm. underneath it, I'm thinking it's the first book, but no, underneath it is the Shadow no, Legions, <laughs> Crimson Crimson Worlds, which that is not it. No, yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah. There we go. New Roads to Hell. It's it's there. You just have to mm -hmm. go down a little bit. I'm adding it to my cart right now. Okay. Thank <laughs> you, sir. My pleasure. I just have to do enough so they get free shipping. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll leave it in my cart until I until I have the time to look for more stuff. Right. 
but I will be making that purchase. Purchasing the two books because I have to bow my head in shame and say I did not. I did not have the first one. Uh, the, the two two books combined is thirty three ninety eight, and I think you have to beat it fifty dollars to get free shipping. So okay. I need another, another sixteen change. I'll find something. What's what does the audio book go for? Let's keep looking here. Is the audio book on Amazon? It's on Audible. On Audible, which I, I think is a branch of Amazon now. So. Oh, sorry. So I've been a little distracted. My wife is home. I heard a car drive up. You need a little time to make her a happy happy lady? No, 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 no. It it wasn't the car that she left in. That's why I I was distracted. I kept looking at the garage door going, that doesn't sound like our car. What is that? Sounds like our car leaving. (laughs) Well, no. She had to bring me the mother-in-law mobile so I can drive that tomorrow with the rearview mirror that sees back in the time. Now, by the time this posts, it will be in the rearview mirror, but Bill is going over (laughs) tomorrow. No pun intended. But Bill is going tomorrow for a uh, meetup with many freaks. In no, that's actually Orlando. next Friday. Oh, that's not that's not this weekend. No, that's not this weekend. This weekend is is uh, all Andy all the time. Oh, I'm just going Andy. over. Uh, Scott and I are going to meet up with Andy at Epcot, and then we're going to and then Scott uh, is an off Saturday, so I'm going to be Andy's chauffeur. I'm going to wear a funny mm-hmm. hat and speak. Uh, I have a southern draw. Where you want to go, Mr. Leyland? Dri- driving Mr. Andy. <laughs> driving Mr. Leyland. Driving Mrs. Leyland. <laughs> driving right, Miss Angela. I saw uh, he posted, you know, it was his anniversary. Mm-hmm. And somebody put in there, happy anniversary, Uncle Drew. Now, I've never heard anybody call him Drew before, but I think I'm tempted And now. Drew. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Just drop the Ann and you have a Drew. Or a Druid. A Druid. Dr. Druid. Oh my God, Andy's Dr. Druid. We got to buy him a one. <laughs> All right. <Shame>. So, <laughs> I think we. Any uh, any other comic book stuff going on with you three, you guys? Uh, I picked up the latest hardback of Walking Dead, so now I got to figure out that I need to go back and get book eleven and twelve because somehow I missed those two. I was like, oh, I got a big gap here. So, um, I guess somewhat comic news. Do you guys watch Walking Dead? I have fallen way, way behind on it. And I've fallen way, way behind on it without much desire to catch up. Now, I may catch up at some point because they are on my DVR. But I don't Mm. seem to feel any urgency to do so. How about this week's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I could say the same exact sentence. <laughs> we need a miss. Like, Tom, same no, thing. No. Oh, I, I don't watch. Yeah. Oh, okay. The only right. so comic Flash. Book things. Flash I watch. Okay. As do I. Oh, and we're all caught up? I did not watch this week's episode yet. Well, this week there's no episode because yeah, it was no a repeat. Episode. Okay, well then I'm caught up. <laughs> so who do you think Savitar is? Do you think HR is Savitar? I think I think Savitar is an alternate reality Barry. Yeah, but something's up with HR. He's awful shifty, sneaky. Well, each year, each year that actor gets to play a different part. With the yeah, same I know. Character. So I, I just think that's what they're doing. Mm. I don't know. I don't mm. think you know if the season one, the big bid turned out to be whatever HR Harrison Wells. Right. Effect. Well, you're bored, Thawne, but I, yeah. I but, but it was still Harrison Wells. 
And then yeah. season two, it ended up being the phony Jay Garrick. Right. I think for season three, for it to be another guy in his inner circle is just, you know, it's going to the well once too often. Hmm. So for it to be a future alternate reality Barry Allen, that's a little bit more of a twist. That's why I'm going with that. Well, I guess with a flash, I haven't seen any actual clues for that yet. Future emo Barry Allen. Right. <laughs> I can't point to anything saying, well, I saw this and that, you know, that that's what tells me it is him. It's just a theory. I don't, I don't really mm-hmm. have anything to back it up just yet. What do you think of Abracadabra? Uh, I wasn't crazy about him. Well, that's the same actor he just played on Gotham. He was the guy that brought back Jerome. Uh, you guys watch Gotham? No. I did. Whoops. Spoiler. <laughs> it's okay. I, I'm not planning on ever going back there again, so. Eh, it's, I don't know. I, I think it got a little better in season two. But it lo- lost me at the pilot. So, oh, what the balloon guy? No, no, the, the pilot, the first episode, when I realized that, that a lot of this show is going to be playing Husker Du, and going, you recognize this person? He's going to oh. turn out to be blank. Mm. Never yes. mind that. By the time Batman gets to be Batman, <laughs> these guys are going to be Social Security. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I, I know, but I, I just kind of let it go. I don't see it as a regular DC universe. It's just another, like, it's like a, it's like an alternate DC universe. Yeah, that's the way I ended up looking at it eventually, was to try and tell myself, this isn't the DC universe I know, just accept it as effectively an Elseworld story. Uh, But it does lose a little bit of its, its its charisma, I don't know. Uh, Either have Batman in it, or be a little bit more original than just having every Batman super, you know, future villain in there. Yeah, but the kid really is starting to kind of become Batman-like in his mannerisms, and he's you know, he's getting better. At first, you know, he's like, oh my god, this kid's, this is gonna be Bruce Wayne? Yeah, he seemed but, awful you know, soft to be Bruce Wayne. He had, well, yeah, he's gotta grow into becoming, you know, he has to grow into becoming Batman, he just can't flip a switch, I'm Batman. Yeah. No, but other characters or other actors who've portrayed young Bruce Wayne seemed more on that road than he did. Mm. He he seemed almost a little bit too prep schooly. Well, who's really portrayed young Bruce Wayne? Adam I mean, Rist. I'm just <laughs> that was uh, young Bruce Wayne. No, I'm I'm thinking about like in uh, I know I know it's it's. Uh, uh, dirty words on, on this network, but in Batman Begins, they had young Bruce Wayne. Oh, what? what he fell in a hole? Yeah. Whoopee. How's that portraying young Bruce Wayne? Ah, I was scared by bats! <laughs> he struck me as tougher than this kid. I'm sorry. Dad, get me out of this hole! <laughs> Billy, find me a way out of this hole. And the, the other thing about uh-huh. that portrayal, to not to go too far off on the tangent, but in that portrayal, the dad seemed like such... A compelling character that you could almost understand why his loss affected Bruce so deeply. Mm. So, you know, there was there was an instant chemistry between that actor and the kid. Thanks, Dad. You got a rope. You can get me out of this hole. You almost didn't understand why uh, Joe Chill didn't put down the gun. He was such a nice guy. Oh, I I just can't shoot you. Yeah. Well, maybe not. 
Blam! Oh. Hold on, let me rip your pearls. <laughs> That's become almost too much. I, like I, I, I don't, I don't want to see the ripped pearls anymore. Enough. That's right. They should be Mardi Gras beads. <laughs> Fat Tuesday, baby. Fat Tuesday. They were coming back from Fat Tuesday in New Orleans. <laughs> they went down Canal Street. And, well, you know, bad bad things happen. Instead, instead of coming from the Mark of Zorro, they, they were coming with those big, those giant head, man, <laughs> head costume things that people wear. And, and they were dressed, he was, Thomas Wayne was dressed as Zorro. And Joe only... was dressed as a bat, so that's why he did a giant. He had a giant bat head on. That's why he decided to become Batman. Yeah, I'm afraid going... the only um, television uh, superhero stuff I watch is the CW stuff. I watch The Flash and I watch Supergirl. Mm-hmm. I am not opposed to Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow, but I ha- I have fallen a little behind on them. Uh, Gotham right. and Shield. I can't say I'm opposed to them. It's not like I think, oh my god, I don't want to watch these. But I don't really feel the desire to catch up on them, along with The Walking Dead. It's like they're they're on my DVR, but if I don't see them, I don't really care. Shield got very interesting this past week, but I guess I won't tell you guys what happened. Shield seems to me like what keeps happening is it's like it builds up to become interesting, but then it drops really down and becomes uninteresting for a while before it becomes interesting again. Every Mm. time they seem to find a good subplot... They, they just ride it to the end, and then it's like, okay, now what are we going to do? Well, I mean, yeah, this this season has seen, this past season's been like three separate story arcs. You had the Ghost Rider, then you had the Life Model Decoys, and then you got what's going on now, which I won't spoil it. Go ahead and spoil Tom's not going to watch it. And well, I, I think I had it. mentioned it to you before. By the time anybody that, listens to this, the season will probably be over. That they're in an alternate, well, that's true. They're in an um they created basically a virtual reality world called the framework um, by um, the guy that was on Spartacus. I can't remember the actor's name. Uh, Anyway, he had glanced in the dark hold and then he had his, uh, he created a life model decoy Ada and she had looked in the dark hold and through that they created a, a a virtual world called the framework and they are sticking like, Colson and most of his team are stuck in the framework, and they created life model de- decoys in the real in the real world to take out the rest of Shield, or and, you know, get people to get more people in the framework. Because supposedly you can live in there, you, your your mind can live on in there even if your body dies. So, but of course you have to create much like 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 in the Matrix where you had to create something that was believable or something to fight against or whatever. They try that for a while, but then they figure out, oh, well, we'll get rid of people's regrets and create this world. Well, the whole thing that happened recently was that May was the first one they put in there. And her regret was a few seasons back where she had to kill that little girl that was gifted and inhuman, whatever. The one that was killing all the other people in Bahrain where she got the moniker of the cavalry. Mm-hmm. So they allowed her to change that. And but because she didn't take out the little girl in Bahrain, they brought her back to the States and she caused a quote unquote incident in Cambridge and she killed a bunch of other people. So it became this kickoff thing where inhumans were hunted and actually Hydra has supplanted S.H.I.E.L.D. So the whole story arc is called Agents of Hydra. So 
Daisy and um, Gemma have hacked into the framework to try to get the rest of the team out. Um, and that's what the first episode was about, setting up all the characters and where they are, who's evil, who's not. Fitz seems to be evil. Gemma was actually dead, so when she woke up, she was buried in a shallow grave and had to dig her way out of the dirt. Um, Ward was sleeping with Sky, and I won't spoil what happened at the end of that episode. Because, uh, I thought it was Ward nice... was dead, that he had been taken over by that creature. Right, he was. He was t- taken over by... I want to say no. Was it Hive? Did they call him Hive? I think it was called Hive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was, but it's he a virtual better. world, so they, they, yeah, it's a virtual world. So actually, in this world, instead of being a double agent for Hydra, he's a double agent inside Hydra working to help Inhumans. Oh god. So they gave See, him kind of a re a re redemptive arc. Even though he's not real, so go figure. And Coulson's a school teacher. Um, yeah. I feel like S.H.I.E.L.D. has hit a few highs. It's not like it's been a bad show. But I think they'd be better off if they had done a little bit more to make the characters more relatable. Which I think every time they you find one that's relatable, they kind of move off that focus for some reason. I think they would have been better off if they really went for some more you know, B and C level storylines from comics so that, that, you know, you could have something going there. And I think they'd be better off going with season-long story arcs instead of these, you know, four or five episode story arcs. You could almost have done season-long story arcs and then had it be, you know, leading to the next big thing the next season. Hmm. I would have liked to have seen something along the lines of what they did when Nick Fury first got his own series in Strange Tales, where you had Hydra being, you know, it was almost like the, uh, you know, that 1960s, you know, prototypical spy thing where you had the good agency and the bad agency, and then you'd have, you know, Baron Strucker as the leader of Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. combating them. And they could have had David Hasselhoff. Oh, wait, never mind. You you could have had a little bit more of a James (laughs) Bond kind of feel to it. And then you could have thrown in some, again, some B and C and D level Marvel characters. You could have had the Fixer and Metallo and stuff like that. Not well, I was happy to see it back this week. Maybe it's because there was nothing else on. <laughs> and, you know. Eh. Oh, you guys been watching Powerless? Nope. Nope. Okay. Yeah, it's all right. It's good for 22 minutes on Hulu and for a chuckle. I'm busy, busy right, watching stop, movies. Uh, is it yours? Yeah, I was gonna say you're you're watching movies. Uh, I'm watching TV. I'm watching. Movies I'm watching and, old and laughing of, reruns. Episodes of DS9. Is that on the Is that on the Decades Channel? Yep. Yep. I'm right there with you. I think they just restarted it recently. Yeah, exactly. So we're back in the Goldie Hawn era, which is mm-hmm. the better era. There was an that, era of laughing without Goldie Hawn. Yeah. There were there are three specific eras. There's the classic era, which has Artie Johnson and uh, Ruth Buzzy. Ruth Buzzy is in all the eras. Mm-hmm. Joanne, Joanne Worley. Worley, Judy Carn, uh, Goldie Hawn, and all of them. Then there's the second era where it's only Ruth Buzzy and Lily Tomlin carry over, and it's uh, a bunch of no nobodies. <laughs> yeah, and then it's. Then it's Lenny, uh, 
Willie Tyler and Lester in the last year, Willie Tyler and Lester and a bunch of nobodies. Well, they had Richard Dawson. Okay, I forgot oh. Richard. Yeah. Well, and well, yeah, they had Larry Hovis as well too. Yeah, who came back from? Because he was in the <laughs> he was the, in like, the very early ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think he was in the first one that I watched. Yeah, and I was like, I don't remember him being in this time period. Well, he but... was uh, he was a, one of the head writers on the show at the very oh. beginning. That's hmm. why he he was on. So hmm. another person who was a, a head writer at one point. Mm-mm. Um, Lauren Michaels. Oh, and I was I was just thinking to myself, it's interesting to see the development of this show, and how it's a precursor to Saturday Night Live, and mm-hmm. you just gave that that total connection now. Yeah, that's very interesting. I had no idea that Lauren Michaels actually worked on Laughing. Yeah, but that last era, that last season is dire. Yeah, I watched one, 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 uh, just a few of those, and I was kind of like. Ooh, the jokes just <laughs> really fall flat. It's like, okay. I had right. been so, at that point, I had been so committed. I said, I might as well see it to the bitter end. I mean, Richard Dawson dressed as W.C. Fields isn't as funny as him just doing W.C. Fields. On when he's got team. like, yeah, but when he's dressed in the full makeup and he has a big fake nose, it's just, it's like, eh, okay. Well, you gotta, I mean, they were really trying to, to do something there. Because you got to remember... You know, the, the level of censorship on TV at that time, the early 70s, and mm-hmm. then compare that, you know, to they're trying to do a very, very hip, you know, cutting edge show, which was, I believe it was still on in the family hour. I don't even think it was on. I think so. I think it was Monday at eight o'clock. Yeah. So it's right mm-hmm. in the family hour during during the. Uh... Oh, Scott. Hey, fellas. Didn't mean to leave you hanging. Hanging. Been fighting with this blanking washing machine. Go ahead, finish. Since Missy got <laughs> home and didn't even realize it was this late already. Haven't even had dinner. Tore half this thing apart and still didn't fix it. Pissed, sweaty, and hungry. Bad combo for podcasting. I'll catch you all on the slip side. Flip side, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, so, this once, you know where Scott is when we say he's on the side. Yeah. Uh, I feel bad. Yeah, I was trying to help him with his washing machine woes the other night. I didn't have any quick, easy fix for him. I got a quick, easy fix, but it involves probably having about eight hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's what I told him. I said, uh, "He's like, how much is a new washer? Uh, depends on what you want." <laughs> I said, "You could probably get a decent one for four or five hundred, maybe." I said, "But I'd wait till Memorial Day to get a sale." But that's quite a way as away. Yeah, so. that's that's two months. I don't know. Although, if he if we do the time timey wimey thing and. Uh, by the time this episode airs, we'll be much closer to Memorial Day because we have to get through <laughs> Assistant Editor's Month. True, true. Anyway, so far, it's going well. Yeah, well, we've had, as we're recording this, we've had one episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. Assistant Editor's Month, so we'll be having the next four weeks. I do have now, in all four uh, digital recordings in my possession, ready to post on a weekly basis. So, shouldn't there I, be five? I, no, because one is already posted. Oh, 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 oh sorry, sorry. Math, it's it's not something I'm good at. I, what was what was the name of the three uh, the three winners from the Running Man? <laughs> oh, no, Larry and Curly. Last year's yes. losers. Uh, 
I, I tried to. Yeah. It was Haddad. It was one. Hold on. Price something in Haddad. Price. Last season losers. Price Waterhouse. But that's what I picture like when, when we talk about uh, Assistant Editors Month. Yeah, Paul Scott and Bill are on vacation. <laughs> and I us, you know, in that in that boiler room <laughs> with our corpses laying there. Okay, Price. I'm watching the clip now. It's a 30 second clip. All right, she turns and looks at the other one. Price something in her dad. A dad. Oh, there's a fireball. Yeah, well, he's that's who that's who says last year's no, no last year's losers. That season's winners. No, season's losers. Uh, he didn't. Her? They didn't say the other name. They do oh. say it. I don't know. I'm not going to. This isn't a Running Man podcast. We've already done that. Yeah, anybody who's interested in that, you just have to go back in the uh, commentary monthly Mondays. I think we posted it on the. And if you don't find it, I'm going to come to your house and put my fist on your throat and rip out your goddamn spine. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> Such violence. <laughs> Whitman, Price, and Haddad. Whitman. Uh, is that Slim uh... Whitman? <laughs> Whitman, Price, and Haddad sounds like a low-rent lawyer firm. We here at Whitman, Price, and Haddad want you to know that we'll be backing you in a car accident. Okay, so we should cover some comics now. <laughs> Stop before I tangent again. Tom, would you like to go first or second? Would I, you like to shoot Bill now care. or when it's... you get home? Shoot me now! Shoot me now! Shoot me now! <laughs> You're the guest at your call. Um, let me go second. All right. Well, in that case, Bill, you want to go first? <laughs> Come on. You know who I am. <laughs> oh, it's been a while since I got to just play on the booklist, Bill. Trump. Say my name. Say it. Say it like you love it. Anyway, I, I have our indie this week, which is RoboCop Prime Suspect, number one. from October Is Dark Horse really an indie anymore? I mean, they're kind they, of mainstream. Well, in, in my in my definition, and well, back in this really period, isn't my definition the only one that counts. Oh my God, rub barbecue, whatever. But in my definition, uh, an indie is anything that does not take place in either the Marvel or DC mainstream universe. So it could even be published by Marvel or DC, but if it's not part of their universe, to me, as far as I'm concerned, it counts as an indie. So an amalgam book would be an indie. Uh, well, that's still kind of the same characters from the main universe, though. Oh, my God, you're changing the rules already. No, I'm talking about, like, if you had a, uh, a Vertigo book from DC or a book that just, you know, like, I think we did uh, Blitzkrieg number one, which is not part of the DC universe. A book like that, as far as I'm concerned, that's just as good as an indie. So would you consider the epic line? Yes, I would consider that to be fine, yeah, acceptable indies. What about the Galactic story that's in an epic book? No. The last Galactic story. That would not be acceptable. That would be part of the main universe. But it's in an epic book. I don't care. See, you're making Tom Tom get upset now. (laughs) Unless Tom can throw his voice into my dog. (laughs) Nobody's going to shut that dog up either. So it's like the Epic Uh, Pack. The Epic Pack? Do you remember the Epic Pack? Oh, you mean Ipecac? <laughs> That's it. 
All right. Okay. I'll be quiet. So now. anyway, I took RoboCop number one, <laughs> Robo RoboCop Prime Suspect number one from October of 1992. The story is written by John Arcudi, penciled by John Paul Leon, inked by Jeff Albrecht, lettered by Clem Robbins. You don't see too many people naming their kid Clem anymore. Colored by Matt Webb, and the cover art is just credited to Nelson. I don't know if that's Ricky Nelson's kids, but... Maybe it's Nelson Mandela. The cover price on the book was $2.50, which in October of 1992 was a bit pricey. And the cover image appears to be a painted poster type image of RoboCop, gun drawn and aimed to the right of the reader. The story opens with a splash page, without a splash page, excuse me. A riot is in progress at a military industrial complex where anti-military protesters are clashing with the pro-community. Police are called to the scene and appear in the form of RoboCop. In a moment of irony, the anti-war contingent reacts by throwing a bottle at RoboCop, prompting the other side of the aisle to ramp up the violence in an effort to bash their skulls. RoboCop is effectively a solo act as the other police realize that they can't do anything beyond what he's already doing. So the anti-war leader shoots a Law's rocket at RoboCop, killing an unknown number of people. As he attempts his getaway, RoboCop is temporarily delayed because of his right arm, which is his shooting arm, and is hanging by threads. But he proves to be ambidextrous and shoots the vehicle. Uh, the person who with, who's with him calls him ambidesolate. And... Uh, He's able to riddle the getaway car with bullets, causing it to slam into a brick wall, presumably killing the two people inside. Cut to a bar where two very well-spoken gentlemen are debating the country's foreign policy. At the same time, a television is airing a debate on RoboCop between Matthew Zesky, a former defense contractor, and Isaiah Tucker, owner of the Insane Izzy chain of electronic stores. Izzy is over the top in his position that RoboCop is a menace, while Zesky is cool as can be, but cloying in his defense of RoboCop. From the bar, we cut to the police station where RoboCop is watching the debate as well. We learn that there is an issue with getting the parts to repair his arm due to the budget cuts, but instead a Dr. Lazarus, interesting name choice, has been assigned to effect repairs. He's one of the designers of the RoboCop system and is able to perform the repair quickly and with minimal cost. From the precinct, we join Insane Izzy, who is walking from his workplace and is gunned down and left dead. The investigation of the shooting includes ballistic testing of bullets from RoboCop's gun as he's a suspect in this killing, hence the title of the series. Later that day, a press conference is conducted at which Zesky... The defense contractor from the debate earlier is asked about the shooting and says the charges against RoboCop are ridiculous. But at a hearing with regard to the murder, testimony is elicited that the markings on the bullets match RoboCop's, that RoboCop had the motive to take Izzy out, and that a police car was seen at the scene, at the scene of the shooting. Following a preliminary hearing, a full investigation is ordered, as well as a directive to shut RoboCop down pending the results of that investigation. And the story is to be continued. Now, I got to say, the first thing that jumped out at me on this story is I absolutely hated the artwork. That said, and we'll talk a little bit more in detail about it as we go through it, 
I thought the story was fairly simplistic, but well laid out and compelling. Uh, it was a quick read, but it made me want to pick up issue two. I actually have two, three, and four waiting for me to read them, possibly after we finish recording tonight, because I did think it was a pretty compelling story. And I'm curious as to what you two boys thought. You want to go first, Tom? Well, it's Frank Miller Light. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say it's it's like a cross between somebody trying to do Frank Miller and goofy anime. Yeah, I mean, my previous experience with John O'Cardi was with a couple of really bad uh, Superman villains that he did in the 90s. And this doesn't um, change my opinion of him as being a, not a very good writer. Okay, well, um, you know, I, I'm going to give you a little bit of credence as a writer yourself and hit you up with what about the writing did you find to be weak? Was it too predictable? Was it too by the numbers? Was it not interesting enough? You know, where, where, do, you, where do you think it, it fell short? I just felt it, it wasn't its own thing. It, it, like I said, it felt too much like it being Frank Miller Light for me to see it as its own identity. It... The the plot seemed very, you know, very straightforward by the numbers. <laughs> and I didn't have the, the same urge you had to find out what happens next. And you, you <laughs> forgot entirely the, uh... the gentleman who, um is assigned to help Dr. Lazarus. He either A, reprogrammed it, re reprogrammed RoboCop, or has built another one on the side or something. Yeah, exactly. It's obvious that he's the uh, the big bad. Yeah, because he's not making as much money. You know, everybody else has the prestigious things. I, I haven't read it ahead either. I'm just guessing. Well, that, that would have been my guess as well is that he's going to turn out to be the guy either him or Zesky the guy who's you know who's defending him oh I think Zesky's probably promising him something to do this if I had to guess the one oh, thing that's interesting to find out that possibly crazy uh, insane Izzy uh, somehow set this up and it cost him his own life and the life of his discredit two Robo and the life of his toupee. <laughs> Kill that toupee. Kill it. I mean, you I, see I the one shot; it flies off his head. <laughs> I didn't think it was. I mean, I didn't think it was a great story. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I thought it was compelling. And like I said, I, I'm curious to see where they go with it. I could. I see, and we talk about Frank Miller. Frank Miller wrote RoboCop two, the, the actual and screenplay. three. He did write three. I didn't know that. Oh, he he did three? write three as oh. well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this to me has, I think this has just as promising of a start as the beginning of RoboCop 2 does, maybe even more so. I don't know. I got to see where they go with it. But just from a start point of view, I think this could have been just as you know good put in, to put together as a screenplay and been RoboCop 2. I didn't think RoboCop, although RoboCop 2, the film, I consider to be sort of a guilty pleasure. And... Mm -hmm. uh, I got into a discussion about what, what constitutes a guilty pleasure yesterday. And in my definition, 
a guilty pleasure is something you like more than you think you should. You know, based on the quality of it, you say, well, I shouldn't like this as much as I do. You, you uh, mean and, and like... You, you, you mean like me and Xanadu? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, when I when I look at, at RoboCop 2, I do enjoy it, and I have no problem sitting down and watching it. However, at no time do I ever convince myself that it's a good movie. And... I could see this actually being a better movie if they had done it right. Or at least this, you know, the beginning of a better movie. I don't know where it's going to go and it may have a very disappointing ending because at least in my experience, and this is something, again, Tom, as a writer, I'm curious to get your take on this. It seems like a lot of writers have the ability to set up the conflict, but resolving the conflict at the end seems to be the problem. A lot of times they resolve it in a very unsatisfactory way because they set themselves up so much that they can't come up with a good, a good plausible way to get out of it. Right. Even, even writers as accomplished as Stephen King, I've found in some books, it's like that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say he either reprogrammed RoboCop or he stole his arm in the middle of the night, uh, night because only his grip is key to the gun. So they could have put his arm on some other something else and shot it. He shot the gun that way. And nobody's the wise guy because they say that he was alone. He has no, nobody to back up that he was by himself. Mm -hmm, But he certainly doesn't have any memory of doing this. Right. Right. And it's one of the things they do hit on is, you know, you got to remember there's, there is a person in there. Uh, So I'm, I'm tempted to say that it's, you know, that, this guy maybe has the ability to get the gun shot by someone other than RoboCop. I'm, I'm just not sure of the whole motivation other than, you know, Detroit, uh, New Detroit is screwing me over salary-wise. I'm going to get revenge. Mm-hmm. So that, that could be, and again, this could be where the story starts to fall apart because I don't think that's the greatest motivation in the world. I don't know. If it turns out that he is the bad guy, I'd like to see something a little bit more complex than that. Maybe it was those two very intelligent gentlemen in the bar. I got a kick out of that scene. That, <laughs> that was, was a nice distraction. Amazing. That and, was and, a nice distraction from the normal RoboCop movie fare with just the stupid, you know, what I don't want to say stupid, but but with the silly ads and, and the over-the-top TV shows and game shows and commercials that they have these two guys with this in-depth discussion about geopolitics. But and they're then dressed the as two truckers. And, and then yeah, in the with... shot from behind, they both have the plumber's crack show. <laughs> uh... But but then when you you know when you read the dialogue, do you mean to imply that our country's truculent presence in Estonia was not fiscally actuated? <laughs> that was a determinant, yes, but not our government's sole inducement for a deployment. Like as if people in a bar <laughs> talk like that. But there I, go. I found that to be very amusing <laughs> when I read that. And then they shut that off to put on the uh the actual debate of Izzy uh, and what's his name, Orlandes, who looks straight out of a, like you said, Frank Miller light character. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, and I wonder yeah. if anybody. I mean, I'm assuming that John O'Carty was a, a New Yorker East Coast boy, and he's referring, he's making a reference to Crazy Eddie. Oh yeah, oh, prices absolutely. are absolutely insane. Even I know who Crazy Eddie is. I think from oh, okay. watching WNOR. Oh, oh, 
man you think you're ready Down to Crazy Eddie The man who's got most everything Stereo sound His audio selection Molly with your perfection He's the man with all the lowest prices around So come on down And put him to the test See whose prices really are the best Who fix you up with the sound of your place And guarantee a smile upon your face you think you're ready Down to Crazy Eddie The man who's got most everything It's stereo sound And so the story's told Across the whole wide world Crazy Eddie will not ever be undersold Need a new stereo color TV CB? Call 645-1196 for the most ridiculous prices ever During Crazy Eddie's Christmas sale In August? The original Crazy Eddie store was on Coney Island Avenue and Kings Highway in Brooklyn. And I remember going there as a kid with my dad to buy a stereo before he was particularly famous. And uh, Eddie, uh, was it Eddie Antar, uh, was actually, you know, it was the only store he had at the time. And he was physically in the store. And I remember, you know, having a conversation with him at the time. And, uh, I mean, he expanded it into a huge business before he siphoned off the profits and tried to seek asylum in Israel. Yeah. So he has since left this mortal coil. Along with Don Rickles. Yeah, word came down Don Rickles passed today. Mm-hmm. Mm. One of the yeah. more unique comedians in, in our lifetime. I, I wonder if that guy, I can't remember the guy's name, the guy who did the commercials for Crazy Eddie got tired of being called Crazy Eddie. Yeah, everybody thought he was. Oh, see, I didn't know that. I thought that was him. No. News to me. Nope. Crazy Eddie's greatest TV and video sale ever. Get a video recorder, color TV, large screen TV, video camera, even an audio video component system. Get it all on sale now during Crazy Eddie's greatest TV and video sale ever. Remember, we are not undersold. We will not be undersold. We cannot be undersold. And we mean it. So get anything and everything in TV and video. Get it now during Crazy Eddie's greatest TV and video sale ever. Crazy Eddie, his prices are insane. He was an actor. Yeah, I, I never did know his name, and I don't recall ever seeing him in any other role. But he was, he was not Eddie Antar. Mm-hmm. But he was popular enough to be made fun of on Seinfeld. Yes. Were they the, was it the Mattress King or something? The Wiz. The Wiz, that's right. Which was another electronics firm here in, on the East Coast. I bought a lot of my electronics from the Wiz back in the day. Yeah. It was owned by the same numbnuts who owns uh, the Knicks and the Rangers. Oh, really? The uh, the Cablevision boys, the Dolans. Yeah. Yeah, I, I worked I for Cablevision. I worked for Cablevision for a, a brief while on a temporary job, and I was able to get discounts at, at uh, the Wiz because of it. And uh, if I wanted to go see uh, and it's anything at Madison Square Garden, I was uh, I was good to go too. That's a nice little perk. Yeah. If the rest of the job is acceptable. Anyway, so let's go back to this one. What did you guys think of the art, which I absolutely hated? Hmm. Ah. Uh. <laughs> and that answers that. <laughs> I just, I mean, I to me, it looks amateurish. This looks to yeah. me like something 
that a, a high school kid is drawing while they, while he's bored at the teacher's lecture. And the funny thing is, is that I remember seeing John Paul Leon's artwork elsewhere, particularly on uh, the later issues of X-Force, and liking it. And this is just, it's garbage. There's no sense of uh, perspective. The, the characters are all kind of like, you know, uniformly not sketched incorrectly. And Dr. Lazarus is wearing the biggest shoulder pads imaginable. And, and the, the anatomy the, is just terrible. The, oh, scene, yeah. the scene that made me think, say that this is like anime is the ones where Robocop is looming. The one panel where Lobo, Lobo, Lobocop, yeah. Robocop is looming behind... Dr. Lazarus and the police sergeant and she's pointing up in the air and she just looks just like an anime character like from Pokemon or something and the sergeant's got he's all hunched over got his hands up and it just looked like manga to me hmm. I mean and I like manga but it's just like if it just didn't and that's not the only time that somebody like R Robocop is drawn way out of proportion uh, like when he first gets out of the car, yeah, he's huge. When he, you know, when he gets to the ride, he should even fit in that car. <laughs> it's yeah. like Arnold Schwarzenegger getting in a Porsche. Yeah, they rip the seat out. The only scene that I feel is fairly well done, and even then, I'm not crazy about it, is the scene of the assassination of Insane Izzy. That actually looks to me like Frank Miller esque. Especially Although how the, much of that is the coloring? Yeah, yeah. yeah how much? That is that is part of the mood setting, the coloring and the shadows. Yeah. It's almost the lack of attention to detail there makes it more Frank Miller like. But I, I don't think it's particularly you know in the, it lacks in the areas that you've just said, and I don't even think it's a particularly strong storytelling type. No. You know, setup here. I don't think there's anything dynamic about it. I, I really feel like it falls short so much. And, you know, it, it makes it more difficult to get through the story. This this really is not a heavy book. This is light reading. Uh, and it, it's a book you should get through in about five minutes. But it, in my mind, it takes about ten because the, uh, the artwork is so poor that it makes you delay longer. Mm -hmm. So a little side note. I just looked up Robocop Prime Suspect. And in the TV, one season TV series, episode three is titled Prime Suspect. When a person is killed and the murder weapon is Robocop's gun, he is arrested and placed on trial. He has an alibi, which he refuses to divulge. So he's about to be deactivated. Hmm, that sounds familiar. I wonder if the two are intentionally connected or if it's just, you know, they just think we're all so stupid that they can tell the same story over oh. over. Well, it says writing credits, John are same guy based on the based on the graphic novel. Okay, well there you go. That, I yeah. don't have a problem with that then. I wouldn't exactly call this a graphic novel. It's well, not when you combine graphic. them all into four, if you combine all four issues, it's a graphic novel. No, but I'm saying it's not very graphic. Mm. Well, yeah. Graphic novel to me 
is an attempt by people to either be a little pretentious or to create some distance between the thought comic that comic books are for children. She yeah. just said trade paperback. Might have There's, been a well, little realistically hurt. same same thought process though. Yeah, I would I would just prefer they said miniseries. Mm. I, I don't yeah. think we need to be embarrassed over the fact that we like comics. I, I you know, it is what it is. Anyway, any more thoughts on this? And the crickets go wild. So let's let's give our review on it. <laughs> so, the cover, as I said, is more or less a poster image. Not bad, a little stiff, I think, and a little unimaginative. It's got that airbrushed 80s tint to it. Yeah. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's great. I think it's good. I'm going to say I'm going to say a B minus. I think it's good. Uh, the story, I, you know, I, obviously I think Tom and I are going to diver- diverge on this, but I, I found it to be entertaining and I do want to know where it goes even though it's probably going to let me down when I do read the rest of it. Uh, so I'm going to say I like the story. I thought it was solid. I'm going to say a B. The artwork, I feel, is almost without merit. Uh, there's very, very little I like. I thought that one sequence that we talked about was decent, but the rest of it is just god-awful. So I'm going to say a D-. minus. I'm not going to fail it because I did find something that I kind of liked, but I'm going to say a D-. minus. And overall, I'll give the book a C+. Plus. Boys. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Well, Tom. the cover is just meh. So I guess I'd give that a C. The story, it just it didn't capture me at all. It just was there, and there was too much of this John O'Carty wanting so badly to be Frank Miller that it wasn't funny. So I would give it a D. And the art, ugh, I guess that would make it, uh, well, it's not, I'm loath to give anything an F unless it's truly, truly wretched, like Jim Calamy's art back in the same period. So I guess that would be a D as well, which means it's got a D across the board, I guess. All right, fair enough. Dr. Bill? Uh, the cover... It's a nice picture of RoboCop. It would be better if it was on black velvet. <laughs> With big eyes. <laughs> that follow you around the room. <laughs> follow you around the room. So, uh, so if, it, if it was on black velvet, it would be a B plus. I'm going to give it a C plus. Um, the art uh, just took me out from... Uh, jumping from like Frank Miller to out of proportion anime manga. Uh, yeah, I got to give the art a D. The story, I like the guys in the bar. It was a nice touch. Some of the, you know, uh, what was it, like a couple, well, you know what? I guess if I can't remember, it wasn't that memorable. Oh, when he was. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I would say that's self-evident. Yeah. If I can't remember, it wasn't memorable. <laughs> <laughs> the master of the obvious. That's me. Uh, 
What am I grading? The story? Oh, uh, you know what? Yeah, you were on the story now. C. Just C to C minus. So uh, it's a C. And a D. Uh, it's like a D plus C minus book for me. Do I need to apologize to you two for bringing this? No, no, no. No, no. It's okay. <laughs> I feel like I've tortured you. You know what? I, I do like Dr. Lazarus. You know what? I'm going to make I'm gonna make it a straight C minus because of Dr. Lazarus and she's a redhead. So there we go. She's kind of tall. And yeah. wide. But she's got wide shoulder pads. Yes. It was the 90s. <laughs> All right. So let's go from our RoboCop book onto a DC. Bill, what would you bring us? I brought whatever you guys brought. All right, well then, the work. Tom, Tom to the rescue. Okay, I brought New Teen Titans number three, which had a January 1981 on sale date. Uh, sorry, uh, cover date, and it was on sale October 9th, 1980, for a grand total of 50 cents. Ooh. Here come the Teen Titans, a quartet of towering talent. Kid Flash, whose speed defies the eye to follow. Wonder Girl, swift and powerful super lass. Speedy, whose fantastic arrows perform awesome feats. Aqualad, bold and daring marine marvel. Fabulous foursome for right against might. The Teen Titans. The name of the story is The Fearsome Five. Marv Wolfman was the writer. George Perez was the artist. Frank Chiramonte did the finishes. Bedota was the letterer. Adrian Roy was the colorist. And Lynn Wine was the editor. The cover depicts Dr. Light holding aloft Starfire while around them in a yellow background, the other Titans meet their fate at the hands of The Fearsome Five. At Donna Troy's swinging bachelorette pad, Starfire is showing her new friends where her home Vega is. Meanwhile, two coat-and-headed individuals enter a building only to be met with blaster fire. They are revealed to be the Lenny-rific mammoth and her sister, the Afrotastic matter transmitter Shimmer. The two find their way to a room where Dr. Light introduces them to their new teammates in the Fearsome Five, the little person mechanical genius Gizmo and the psionic Simon, and announces his intention to destroy the Teen Titans. Back at the Troy residence, Starfire tells the others about Tamaran and how she became a slave of the Citadel, as part of a peace treaty negotiated by her father, the king. Starfire begins a little side trip into self-pity when Raven shows up. In spite of Robin's skepticism about the mystic, to the Titans are sent to confront the Fearsome Five. Thanks to Shimmer turning some architecture into gas, the Titans are on the rope and the Ravens mysteriously disappears. Still, the Five make their retreat. We cut to see where Raven got to. She's concurring with a pair of eyes and a pentagram she identifies as Trigon. Raven promises she will meet this personage on the field of battle, leaving Trigon to ponder why he doesn't just smite the mysterious sorceress. Back in Hell's Kitchen, Victor Stone the Cyborg is once more spurning his father's attempts to make amends. However, a strange letter draws Cyborg and the other members to the T-shaped Titan's Tower. Changeling takes a trip into self-pity Starfire flirted with fully, only to see the others trying to figure out where this building came from. Robin confronts Raven about her disappearances, and she finally breaks down and reveals that she is from the Temple Azeroth. While there, she received a vision of the Trigon being released on this dimension and his pet demon Goron destroying the Justice League so he can take over the Earth. 
The vision somehow dissolved into one of the fearsome five, which she knows is some form of a warning. Elsewhere, the five are discussing their recent adventure when Simon pulls a coup. He explains it was he who caused the five to be formed after he received his powers from Trigon. Simon then broadcasts a challenge to the Titans to fight the five once more. Oddly enough, Cyborg recognizes Simon, even though he wasn't part of the first fight. The Titans charge to meet the five, but Raven and Kid Flash stay behind. Their time, the mystic says, would be better served convincing the Justice League of the peril of Trigon. There is more punchy-punchy run-run as the Titans confront the fearsome five aboard a boat. Once again, the five have the Titans at a disadvantage, so much so that Raven sends Kid Flash to help. But even the Scarlet Speedster Jr. falls when Raven bears witness. Despairing, the mystic realizes she must do what she can to make the Justice League believe her. A lot happens in this issue. <laughs> you think? Wow, you know how long it would take even... me to synopsize this? <laughs> long even time. for the 80s, which was the anti-decompression era, a lot happens in this issue. Yeah, I... no, the... Well, this is this is really. I mean, I remember when these were coming out, and I was, I was, glued to these instantly when they started coming out with these books. When the series, I, I was on board from the uh, promo issue that was inside of a DC Comics presents, and I mean the George Perez art is gorgeous, mm -hmm. and there's a lot being set up here for the future. Yeah, mm -hmm. although I also wonder if the reason why so much backstory is jammed in there because we have Starfire's backstory and Raven's backstory and Simon's backstory is because this was a book that wasn't considered uh, self-sustaining. DC thought what? this book was DC thought this book was going to fail. Wow. So maybe Marv Wolfman was cramming all this stuff in so that at least he gets a full story done if they pulled the plug early. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they had to have seen what they were putting out and realized we have something of quality here, you know, both on writing and artwork. But we're only talking the third issue. So right. this could be early enough that they, ha you know, they hadn't really known whether or not it was going to go for a long term. And I think, you know, as great as George Perez is, I think there's always been a little bit of an issue with deadlines with him. Mm -hmm. So that's a factor. In fact, I believe issue five was drawn by Craig Swan for exactly that reason. Uh, yes. So, you know, I could see where they'd have their doubts for that. But you also have to take into account this version of the Teen Titans has Starfire and Raven who will were brand new and cyborg for that matter brand mm -hmm. new characters who were introduced for this series and then you throw in uh the changeling or beast boy depending on which name right. you prefer who although he was an existing character was not particularly well known by the dc fans so you really only had you know robin yep. kid kid flash and uh, wonder girl as bankable characters and mm -hmm. how bankable were they at this point you know, they were sidekicks. Teen Titans, I don't think, had ever been... Although I always enjoyed Teen Titans, even in yeah. the uh, in the, in, in the Haney uh, mm -hmm. versions. But, but look at it this way. Less than five years ago, a Teen Titans book launched and failed within a year. Mm-hmm. So... Well, you know, now we're at an age where anything can fail. Yeah. Because the marketing on these comics... Yeah, but that doesn't mean everything nowadays. They just release a 
they'll release a book for a year just to relaunch it again, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And, and they oversaturate the market with things, you know, even even bankable characters like Batman and Superman. You, you still don't have guarantees of success because they're so oversaturated. So, but, you know, this is a different era. They didn't have quite as much coming out at this time. But these were not, I do not believe, bankable characters. I think mm-hmm. that's why they gave them to Marv Wolfman and George Perez and said, you guys run with this. Have a good time. And hopefully, you know, you'll make us some money. I All really right. think that's what it came down to. Uh, so, so they're introducing, you know, three brand new characters. They're fleshing out one character that really didn't have too much of a backstory. You know, between the Doom Patrol and mm-hmm. and Teen Titans, he had a little bit, but not not tremendous amount. Uh, and then you're introducing a whole new setup of villains here. You know, we we, we get a, what's his name, Deathstroke in the, in this run. Yeah, the, Deathstroke this, this was the group. issue before. We get mm-hmm. the the uh, the Hive comes. Oh, wasn't blood, that the one blood. with his son, Deathstroke's yeah. son? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they, we got a lot going on. They're introducing a lot. They're throwing a lot at us. Well, the Hive was a pre-existing uh, group. Well, they, okay. I, I was not familiar yeah. with them before this. They were put in the. They were towards the tail end of the first run of the Titans. Hmm. Okay, it must have been when Bumblebee was a character. Yeah. Isn't that clever? <laughs> uh. But, you know, I mean, like I said, I think that they were throwing a lot. There was a lot of info dump here, but I think there had to be to keep you mm-hmm. interested. Because I think if they if, if they had too much, you know, they, they kept a lot of mystery going with Raven. Mm-hmm. So if you had a lot of mystery with every character, I think that the readers would have just eventually rolled their eyes and said, you know, I, I don't know where you're going with this and I'm not interested anymore. Uh, right. Do, do I remember correctly? Was it Raven mind controlling Wally? Yes. That's right. Not That's like why... mind controlling, but kind of nudging him to love her so that he. I was better... going to say nudging. <laughs> Don't touch her. Don't touch her. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more than nudging. <laughs> he wasn't totally. She wasn't totally controlling, but she was definitely influencing. Yes. Oh, and Starfire's parents. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, sorry. You got to go. What? <laughs> what? It's scientific experiments with a lot of you. Yeah, uh, we we can make more kids. <laughs> now it's more where I, you came from. I almost went with issue number two of this, but I went with issue number three because I have a fondness for Doctor Light. Doctor Douche? I mean, uh, Doctor yeah. Light, the the rapist or Doctor? <laughs> no, no, Light, the free rapy, no, the, the therapist, the therapist. Light. Yes, <laughs> I do not acknowledge the rapey Doctor Light. Yeah, That's I, I, the, I, Dan, when Dan DiDio turned him into Rapey McRapenstein. Did, did Dan DiDio do that, or was that Brad Meltzer? No, it was under Dan DiDio's direction. But it was it was in the Brad yes, Meltzer story, it was right? In, there, was, it was in, there wasn't any Rapey Dr. Light that preexisted that story. No, right? no. He's going to rape on the five-year timeline. A lot of people blame that story on the just kind of like killing the childhood of comic readers that that you know it's like you can never go back to the simple age that we had because of that anyway that's not the story we're reviewing yeah no i i I had a i have a fondness for dr light as a character even though you can kind of tell marvelman said in a interview for the titans companion which came out from tomorrow's press that he always intended dr light to be a goof 
and he was treated like that in this issue. They yeah, even say, he, you know, even the Adam beat him. It's like yeah. that was a lucky job. That was luck. It'll never happen again, I tell you. Although Gizmo did give him a nice upgrade by integrating his uh, his uh, gun into his costume. But they mm-hmm. even make him a little bit of a patsy here again, because he ends up yeah, because being mind controlled by Simon. By Simon. Simon cool. says. Simon Simon's a cool, just a cool visual too, with the brain mm-hmm. through the the dome. Makes me think got, of got uh, the long flowing Monsieur, gown. Was it Monsieur Mala and uh, the other? Mala. Yeah. And and the brain. The brain. Well, they're all pre- all of the fearsome five, with the exception of uh, Shimmer's afro. <laughs> Which should have its own. I hope she doesn't book. wear that costume to the beach because that would leave some really weird suns, you know, sun tanning spots. <laughs> Why is there a flux capacitor on your chest, lady? And your groin? I don't get it. <laughs> well, come on, that's what it looks like. Okay, okay. Yeah, but... I, I just don't know how to respond to it, though. Sorry. Well, that's the first thing I thought of. But I, I think I'm sure, I'm sure it was. Yeah. But I think that they're all well-designed characters. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Oh, yeah. So I had totally forgot about Gizmo being in The Fearsome Five. And then when I first saw him, I was like, you know who could play him? Of course, this is real obvious. Peter Dinklage. Peter Dinklage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then and then when a scene where Mammoth is He's carrying, an angry elf. He's carrying Gizmo. And I was like, wow, that's kind of really degrading. He couldn't, like... Have a little rocket jetpack or something? Why, why is he going to be carried by Mammoth? Like he's Doesn't, like, he has like one later movie. in the book. Well, he makes one out of fire extinguishers to catch up yeah. with. But it, it just seemed so. I don't know who 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 could play Mammoth if we're casting this. The, the today? guy who played the guy who played Thor in the uh, Hulk telemovie <laughs> could play Mammoth. The guy that was on uh, the Disney show. He was on uh, Good Luck Charlie. As the yeah, father. Good Luck Charlie. Yeah. I just saw him on an episode of Mike and Molly. He was playing a cop. I was going to say Tom Noonan. Mm. Get him to beef up a little bit. Tom Noonan would be a good... No, he would be a good Dr. Light. <laughs> or Simon. Shimmer. Who could play Shimmer? Who's got a nice big red afro nowadays? <laughs> Pam Bozo Greer. the clown. Pam Greer. <laughs> Pam Greer. Put an afro on her. Beyonce, there you go. Beyonce should be Shimmer. No? Mm. Uh, kind, of, kind of, you know, the, the whole idea of I'm going to put an ad out to put together my super villain. Oh, team. yeah. And it must be five people, no more, no less. Because I have this cool name, the Fearsome Five. So I can't, you know, oh, we, we can well, set at that. It's not the Fearsome Six, the Fearsome Quartet. No, no, five. It must be five. Well, Sinister Six was already taken, so... <laughs> which just i'm going to throw a little tangent in here thank you very much dr bill for my sinister six. Oh, oh you're welcome oh that's right we have it i don't think we've talked about it on back to the bin we have not i and for anybody who hasn't seen i posted on uh facebook uh, a photo of the spider-man and sinister six statuettes that dr bill sent me which are all very cool so thank you very much publicly my pleasure my pleasure my wife was happy i Got rid of some things. That you divested yourself of them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, one one day, one day I'll be getting the anger of can't you get rid of some of this shit? <laughs> <laughs> already, already have. So. 
I mean, all I've this... got left are a couple of uh, paperback collections, so. Mm. All right, let's, uh, let's talk a let's little bit talk about of getting thing. rid of things. It's too depressing. Yeah, I don't want to get rid of anything, man. Is this the first time that Trigon is name-dropped in the book? I think it might be. And yeah, the, I know it, this doesn't wrap up for a while. No, it wraps up in issue number six. Really? So, okay. yeah. Uh, Trigon was meant to be a very... Well, he ver- comes back again. He got yes. better. He gets better. He comes back in the Baxter run. Ah, that's right. The relaunch of the back. Okay, yeah. What was that? Like issue four? Issue one. Something? Yeah, but it was... And and then they turned the original series into uh, the reprint. Or, well, no. That one year that came out, that was the... the, Side by side, yeah. Yeah, you had the new ones coming out. That was was a weird time. I remember that. That was fun. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about that when Tom Panarese... Another Tom was on here with a Teen Titans book. Yeah, basically, uh, the Baxter run started at the end of the... I think I want to say at the end of the Judas contract. Yes, that's it. Yep. And that was supposed to be the... The Baxter run story was supposed to be the last word on Trigon because he was only supposed to be uh, a very sometimes thing. But then, of course, Marv Wolfman got very bored towards the tail end of his run and brought back... The Seeds of Trigon. Mm. Back when oh, he turned yeah, yeah. Raven uh, evil. And then we had, uh, during the Dan DiDio run... Um, the Sons of Trigon? The Sons of... Yeah. When they, they they started the Titans separate from the Teen Titans. Mm. You know, once again, diluting things too much. Yeah. I think what I remember most about the Baxter run, because I think... I remember Raven coming out of like the clock in Times Square, and I remember it said the year wasn't it like 1984 or 1983, like like it actually named the year, and that's one of the few times yeah. in a comic where it actually pins it to a year. Uh, for some, that was like the first time I think I'd ever noticed that in a comic. Mm-hmm. I hate when they do that. I don't like when they date things. Makes you feel old. No, but it, it it eliminates some of the ability to, act, you know, to to acclimate it to present day. Well, Beast Boy drops a Kermit the Frog reference, which I guess you could still do present. Yeah, day. that's not that's not yeah. so bad. That's not like let's say you know the thing meeting the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or or I mean, there's so many references to that. I think, or even James Bond not liking the Beatles. He couldn't listen to them without earmuffs. Yeah, or <laughs> or um, Spider-Man palling around with Jay Leno that one time. Or Spider-Man swinging around with Obama. <laughs> or, I, don't, uh, I don't like whenever they have any of the current presidents on in these mm-hmm. books. <clears throat> you know, it's just, like I said, it, it tends to date it. <clears throat> and you would think they've gotten smarter because 40 years ago, they didn't know that these things would still be so popular. Mm-hmm. But now they do, <laughs> you know. Now they know that these things have a longevity if they're lucky, you know. Unless they write something that's going to just go into obscurity, so you would think they would guard against that in an effort to keep it relevant as years go by. That they want to create a book that's going to have an evergreen quality to it. But some of them just, you know, they don't learn. Well, that's what reboots are for. Mm. 
<laughs> I, I am so tired of reboots. I've I've recently come to the conclusion that because I I had you know given up comics in the mid to late eighties, mm-hmm. and then I got back into it in the early to mid nineties, and I've recently come to the conclusion that from that point when I got back into it until now, I, I've been totally misdirected every time I bought a brand new book off the stand. Any money that I was going to spend on that should have been on old issues. I should, have, right. I should have said anything that came out before I stopped collecting the first time to fill in that run is fine. But anything that's come out after that, I don't want. That should have been my focus. Yeah. Or maybe you should have been spending your money on Hostess Fruit Pies. That's also a possibility. You could is defeat there, evil with them. Ad? Is there a Hostess ad that I'm... Oh, do you not see it? Some? Aquaman uh, and the Space Capsule? Right, I'm going through it right now looking. There we go. Okay. Well, well the first good oh, ones. Even, but the... He's even got the walrus with him. I am the walrus. Cuckoo, 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 <laughs> Mrs. Robinson. Mira doesn't look that hot in this. Well, you know, it's hard to be hot when she's holding the hostess fruit pies in front of her. I gotta, I gotta carry a tray just for two hostess fruit pies. <laughs> it's just presentation. Yeah. Well, they say that's half the battle. Yes. Right after knowing. <laughs> and this was a very special back to the bids. <laughs> so, any, anything more? Uh, just, I guess, actually, I have a little bit more. I really like, I don't, I'm not totally crazy about the orange color scheme on the cover. I almost feel like I'm too yeah. inundated with orange. Uh, between Starfire and the aura around Dr. Light and the circle, you know, outside of the immediate circle. I really do like all the images inside of the circle, though. Mm-hmm. I think I think the cover is really, really good. I'm just not crazy about the color scheme. Right. Mm. And the interior art, I just can't say enough. I think you know mm-hmm. George Perez is beautiful. Uh, this is, I it, think, where Perez starts hitting his stride, starts finding out the, the artist he's supposed to be. See, I, I think he had some of that when he was on the Avengers before mm-hmm. this. Yeah, towards yeah with the um, the Korvac saga because we we gushed about that a few times. Right. Now, in in the story, uh, when they're recruiting uh, Shimmer and Mammoth, and they finally all get together and we have a panel of each one, and then the bottom panel of Doctor Light, that looks to me like it doesn't belong. That almost looks like it's drawn or inked by a different artist. Is that the f- the close face? Yes. Hold on, I'm going back. Uh, it almost looks like you know, like Dick Dillon or something instead of George Perez. Plus, Doctor Light seems to have it in an elf ear. Oh yeah, I know the. One. Yeah, okay. It just doesn't look the same. It looks. Doesn't it, it look it, kind it, of Kurt Swanish, maybe? A touch. Possibly, yeah. Mm. And I just wonder if maybe somebody else had to touch that up for him. It looks like Namor's granddad or something. I'm Namor's father. The rest of it is all all consistent, but that one panel just stands out to me like a sore thumb that it just doesn't Mm -hmm. look like it belongs. Really? Mammoth's forehead doesn't stick out like a sore thumb? Look at that thing. (laughs) But it it looks like it's supposed to look like that. It's like post bill here. It's huge. Huge head. Huge head. It's got an eight head. I'm a matter transmuter. <laughs> oh, okay, sure you are. <laughs> right. Why don't you transmute the rest of that uh, 
outfit. She's missing a couple spots. Anyway, every everywhere else in this book, I, I think the artwork is just gorgeous. Even where Beast Boy decides the best way to get to the Titan's Tower is as a groundhog. What? <laughs> it's on an island, right? In the middle the first of the thing bay. I would think of. So what did he do? Tunnel underneath the bay? Why didn't he fly there? You could turn into anything and you're a flipping woodchuck. Or not not a woodchuck. What is he? He's a groundhog. I I, I was just like, whatever. Well, actually, the, the sound effect as he's doing yes. it is... Chuck, 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 chuck. <laughs> I mean, granted, he's cute, but, you know, not very, you know, effective traveling. Well, he didn't want to be seen. Oh, uh, okay. Could have been flying above it as a big hawk or something, or, you know. Well, I guess a green hawk might stand out. Uh, I had forgot that Simon was created by Trigon. Well, now you know. Because it looks... Yeah, I know he's had a battle. Because yeah. yeah, it almost looks like, you know, he's like, oh, he did an experiment pier- piercing between the bear, you know... Uh, now, this comes before Crisis, so... Mm-hmm. You know, you think of what happens in Crisis when they're peering back through... Trying to look at the past, the origins of the universe, and see the hand, and then it explodes. You know, I, I that kind of made me think of that you know the day were they thinking of that down the road for crisis maybe hmm. i don't know well crisis is 84 85 yeah i think 85 I believe 85 85 into 86 i believe but that whole setup of doing an experiment that caused this to happen you know he was mm-hmm. trying to pierce the dimensions and trigon gives him the double eye or was well quadruple eye but you only see two because he's got Two sets of eyes, if I remember correctly. Gives him the old whammy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if uh, the crisis was was conceived at this point. I don't think so. Oh, no, no. I, I'm not saying... I'm saying, like, maybe subconsciously somebody thought back... To, well, you know, they thought back to that and, you know, just... That's all. That's that's the only comparison. I'm not saying this was the reason. It's just that it's interesting. You know, I hadn't noticed the parallel until I I, I read this. Like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> Whatever. Blah 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 blah. All right. So, uh, we want to rank it, or rate it, or do something rate with it. it. Your book, Tom. So you go first. Okay. Well, the cover. I think. Even though it's really orangey, I lo- I liked it. So I would like give it. I'd give it a B plus. The writing, like I said, Wolfman got a lot done in it. It's it's a it's a substantial read. It's got a lot of flavor to it. So I would say an A. The artwork. How can you go wrong with with George Perez. Absolutely gorgeous. That's an A. So, I guess it's uh, it's an A across the board, I guess. Yeah, I don't think we're going to have too much fight here. Uh, <laughs> I think the cover is an A and would be an A+, plus if I like the color scheme more. Uh, the interior art is an A and might be an A+, plus if not for the one Kurt Swan Doctor of Lightface. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the story is 
I, you know what? It, it, there's so much going on here, and it's compelling. It's it's quick reading, despite a hell of a lot of dialogue. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the story is an A plus. So I'm gonna give it a solid A, borderline A plus almost. Yeah, there's there's a couple little nitpicks here and there for things, but it's it's an A book all around. Yeah, this is this is just awesome. Have either of you read the games hardcover that was put out a few years ago? I have not. I had picked it up and I have not read it yet. For some I... reason that stayed in my to read pile for a long time and I I wanted to and I just forgot about it and now you've reminded me. I've I picked it up in hardcover and I'll be damned if I've been able to find it. Much like your book, Tom, it's lost in this morass of crap. <laughs> so, but I did read it and it was I did enjoy it. And um, and oddly enough, I read it when I was uh, working at Madison Square Garden for okay. a, a weekend. That, that... It all comes back to that. <laughs> what? Well, we were talking about Madison Square Garden earlier. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, no. When my when I well, where I work now is where I worked like seven years, six or seven years ago. When they flew me up there, they were redoing the fire system, so they're like, "We need all the people we can get." It was a sweet gig. I worked 12 hours, had 12 hours off, worked 12 hours, had 12 hours off, and then I flew back to Florida. I just worked on the weekend. That was it. Easy peasy. Yeah, too bad I didn't know you back then. Well, pl- well plus it was, uh, it, was, it was a union job, so I wasn't allowed to work. I could only troubleshoot a problem and then say, this circuit has a problem. Go fix it. And I'd just stand there. Over here, over here. Yeah, I'd be kind of like, yeah, check this, do that. Yeah, okay. Did you find it? All right. Then I'd stare out the window. On on Bugs Bunny, when he's on the ship, I think it's with Yosemite Sam, and there's the parrot. Over here, over here. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally Bugs Bunny gets smart, gets, you know, catches on to him. He's come here, sweetheart. And he gives him like a a stick of dynamite or something. That's just what I'm picturing you doing. What sucked is none of the concessions were open. I was getting hungry. Just standing around. I needed, I needed a foot long dog. <sighs> well, there's plenty around there to eat. Oh, yeah, there was a little. Across the street to Sabaros. <laughs> Dude, I worked in the Sabaros in high school. You poor soul, you. In Florida. They would drive all the stuff down from New Jersey, all the flour, all the, all the, all the, all the tomato stuff. It would come in a big Lasante truck. And Every unload. time they say it's New York-style pizza, I'm like, you take that back. It was interesting last summer when all the guys were here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we came back to my house on that, that same Thursday when we had met you in, at right. Flushing. Uh, afterwards, we came back here. and We were going to go out to eat, but instead we decided to order some pizza. And there's a pizza here with pizzeria here, which is, you know, it's not Brooklyn, but it's the closest I found to it. Right. You know, in, in Nassau County around here. And we ordered whatever, five, six pies and the guys were eating it up. And 
I'm hearing about like the only pizza they know from their area is a uh, you know Papa John's and Domino's. Uh, and Little when, Caesars. When, when, when you start talking about those or as places, I like to call Little Caesars feet pizza. When you start talking about those places, <laughs> Sparrows is is gourmet. And I can't believe like one of those pizzas you you're like boxing up to throw away. I'm like, what are you what what are you doing? <laughs> well, everybody's done. I'm like, you you know it'll it'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> It's not. It's not poison. Put it in the. I don't think I threw it out. I yeah, I you did. It. I was like, I was like, blah, 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 blah. what are you doing? I think I like grabbed another slice. Like, don't throw this away. I thought I froze it, but whatever. I, I don't Little remember, P- man. Little you... Caesars is much like Taco Bell. Hey, hey, it, you don't eat it. Be, you don't eat it because you like it. You eat it because you're broke and you like pizza. Mm, oh yeah. Okay, you got me there. Yeah. Oh, Taco Bell and I do not get along. Well, you got to eat the right things. Yeah, the... Taco Taco Bell isn't one of them. <laughs> Chipotle chicken loaded grillers for a buck fifty nine. That's that's not bad. It's got... Each their own, my friend. You know, it, it's easy to eat while driving. You can't eat a taco while driving. Well, I can, but most people can't. It's one of you. It's in your skill set. It's in your resume. I can eat anything while driving. I could probably eat Chinese food with chopsticks while driving, and not wreck. But I'm not going to try it. Memo to self: Don't ride with Bill Robinson. <laughs> Shh! Don't tell well, Andy. I'm going to. You generally him end up in weekend. a prison if you do. Because <laughs> I, I believe I believe uh, the last person who drove with Bill Robinson around me ended up in the ended up in hey, the County Correction. We followed a black car. It's not my fault every swinging D in East Meadow, New York, decides they're going to drive a black four-door sedan because we swore, both David and I were like, oh, there's Paul. Boom. So we pulled out and we followed that car. And David's like, why is he going to the prison? I don't know. I was turning so, we, so we pull into the prison and we're like waiting. And we're in the prison parking lot because this car like goes through the gate. We're like, what's going on? And then you call us. Where are you guys? Like, we're following you. Why are you at the prison? We're not at the prison. We're at the store. <laughs> we, like, pulled it at 7-Eleven. And all we go, we, we, you know, yeah, great, great, great tales we are. All right, we're following them. Yeah. yeah Memo to just, sell. Just, just, Do not hire Bill Robinson as a private detective. <laughs> just to tell you, to tell the story, because uh, you, you're, you're hitting on all the points, but if somebody didn't know what was going on, they may not get the whole final thing. We, we were doing a day of going from comic store to comic store. Mm-hmm. And during the course of the day, we stopped at a 7-Eleven to get something to munch on. So I think, I think were we three cars or two? I think it was, I, you know, that's a good question. I don't know if it was three. Anyway, <laughs> we, we, we were in 7-Eleven. Because Beth and I were in the car with. With Dave Pescarella. Yeah. And we, we buy, like, you know, whatever, soda, or Big Gulp, whatever crap we're buying. We come back out into the car, and we look, and we say, where are Bill and Dave? <laughs> Meanwhile, they followed another black Honda Accord to the prison <laughs> while, we, while we were still in the 7-Eleven. So that's oh, what's Tabitha? I call him up, and where are you guys? We're at the prison. Why are you in there? Behind you. Why are you here? Lest I checked, I'm not. (laughs) Anyway, 
Uh, yeah. When you come back up, we'll have more stories of frivolity. But for now... So is there I a guess... plan for later this year, uh, another get-together? There's been some talk of it, but there's nothing firm as yet. Because mm-hmm. uh, right, now, right now, as we speak, a lot of the people are making their uh, arrangements and showing up in uh, the Orlando area for a get-together. Okay. So I think until that one's in the rearview mirror... The next one isn't going to get planned. Yeah, because Star Wars Celebration is coming up next weekend. There's a lot of people that are going to be down there. Okay. Um, and we're going to take advantage and meet at the Jock Lindsay Indiana Jones Bar, whatever, in Disney Springs. Shag's going to be there. Do you want me to tell him to pass on a message? Yeah, f*** you, Shag. <laughs> I'll be sure to tell him that. Hey, this is from Tom, and I'll punch him right in the face. No, there you go. No. <laughs> supposedly, supposedly, Shag, Andrew, and I are going to do a, uh, a views in the long box together. And I'm sure oh, so it's just... All of, all of these semi-regular co-hosts? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're going to do it without Mike? No, no, no. I'm sure Mike is going to be there just to hold all of us apart, right? <laughs> you, no, f- you, no, f- you, f- you. F- you, 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 French bag. There, now you can just take my bleep. There you go. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I think that's it for this show, but I want to thank Tom for coming on board with us. You're and once again, tell you to go to Amazon and look for his book, and I will put, be putting, uh, unless I forget, in which case, please, one of you two remind me, I do plan on putting a link for it uh, on the Facebook page with okay. the uh, episode. Yeah, it'll only be five or six weeks from now. <laughs> well, it, it will be it will be. Uh, well, the May. book's still going to be there. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. And, and like uh, I said, you know, guys punching robots in the face, what's not to love? And, and stay stay tuned for future episodes of Is It Yours and Avengers Spotlight because we have plans for Tom to join us on each one of those in the not too distant future. I mean, and, yeah, I can walk. And we're pushing for a reunion of Better in the Dark. <laughs> well, that's up to Derek and me. Yep. Well, we know that, but we're but pushing you, anyway. Well, you can always go back and listen to the back catalog. That's true. We got over 160 episodes there on betterinthedark.net. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I just needed to cuddle and you fed me. (laughs) 
All they needed I mean, was a hug. 